Hi there, I'm Michael Clark, and he's Mike Pereira. Together, we're the hosts of Mid-Credit Scene, a podcast about movies. And this is a Mid-Credit Minute, kind of bonus mini-episode, where we talk about big important things, like snacks, double features, and more. How do you guys feel about the Harry Potter ones? I don't know. I'm reading them for the first time with my kids. I've never read them before, but I've seen the movies like a hundred times. I, I may have mentioned this before. I, I have only read up to the fourth book, and I did not see all of the movies until last year. Right. As a pandemic project, I was made to watch what a project. all of the, the Harry <laughs> Potter movies. But I saw the first three movies in theaters as they were being released because I had young sisters. Mm. And I read the first four books because we have family in England and they were mailing us them. Oh, like that before you could get them here? It was during that period before they started simul-publishing them around mm-hmm. the world. The first three were published a year in advance in England yeah. before they came over. So we would get these books and for the first two no one cared and when I got the third one in the mail... Everyone wanted to be your best everyone friend. Everyone wanted to be my best friend and I was yeah. the unpopular kid in school. So <laughs> I, that was just, that was the first time I learned how to make new enemies. Um... <laughs> Yeah, uh, I've I've re- I I was the Harry Potter kid. I sat at that table mm. at school, and I like I very much like I was the same age as Harry in the books as they came out. So right. like I very much grew up with that series. I went to this was back when bookstores would do like midnight releases. I yep. would be like, "Hello, parents, you have to drive me to Sarnia, the closest city to our small town. Even though you work at six a.m., I'm getting this book at midnight. I'm not going to school tomorrow until I finish reading this book." Um, and then same with the movies, like I would get tickets for the midnight showings and I would dress up with my friends and go see them. The first movie and the first book are like line for line the same. Yeah. The movies after, like in the sixth one, they burn down the burrow, which is like the Weasley's house. That does not happen. And I remember sitting in the movie theater, like I actually screamed and the people behind me told me to be quiet, but I was like, this doesn't happen. (laughs) Like I was just so angry. So for me, that's where it becomes like, you can't, I mean, it is still an adaptation. The plot is still mostly the same, but they started to change things in the later movies that do not happen or are completely different from what's in the book. And that really bothered me because I'm like, these books don't have to be changed. Like, there's no reason that you're doing this. It just didn't make sense. I think that's always the biggest problem that, or the biggest challenge everybody has with adaptations is do you want it to be a true adaptation, Mm -hmm. like transporting character and plot right over? Or are you okay with them taking liberties for the sake of the, the format? Or are you okay with them just inventing something out of whole cloth. I think yeah. Game of Thrones is another, it, it, going back to that, is an excellent example of something that does all of those things. Mm-hmm. First season, pretty much 100% true, starts to have to do its own thing because there's only so much source material. Get to a certain point, they just go off on yeah. their own and, and create their own adventure. Meanwhile, George R. R. Martin resents that and comes over here and is like, well, then I'm just never going to do anything yeah, nice ever again. And also refuses to finish the series <laughs> yeah. and goes and writes other things anyway. And it's like, okay, sir. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, I will say, so I'm reading the fifth book now. And 
that is an unadaptable book in terms of it's too big, there's too much. Mm -hmm. Like they don't even get to school for the first 200 pages. Like it's, it's actually somebody should have calmed that woman down (laughs) and edited that book (laughs) because holy crap, there's way more source material in there than you actually need to Mm -hmm. tell that story. It's a little like, you're just doing this because no one told you no. Um, And I'm not a big fan of the book. I'm not a big fan of J.K. Rowling to be totally honest, but, um, but as a film, you can't adapt that much material, so you've got to make cuts. And the funny thing about it is I don't think it's a great ap- adaptation because it's very clear that they cut things that were... Like, you never give any justifiable reason in the film why Harry is really pissed off. Yeah, he's just angry. He's just angry, but they do not explain that no. in any way, shape, or form. Even though, like, reading the book, I'm like, oh, I understand it now. Mm-hmm you really actually wouldn't have been that hard to change the script to reflect why. Yeah, that's my biggest gripe with the, like, five, six, and I think the seventh book was two movies for some reason. Like, the fifth book should have been two movies. That that was when all of a sudden part ones and part twos became in vogue. Yeah, yeah, but they, they definitely, like, cut things that shouldn't have been cut, but then added in things that made no sense. So the the plots were just very disjointed, I don't know. I, I, I'm never, like, I can't rewatch the Harry. Like, I'll watch the first one, but I'm not, I don't care about the later ones. And as, as someone who hasn't <laughs> read the, the, the back half of the books, that was my experience watching, I think, five and six especially, was I was just sitting there and I'm like, I understand that there are scenes and I understand that words are being said in them, but the scenes don't seem to have any relationship to no. one another. And my fiance would be like, well, in the book this happens. I'm mm-hmm. like, well, that's a failure of an adaptation then because I shouldn't have to refer to source material outside of, like a movie yeah. should be self-contained. When you watch it, you should have all of the information. If they're banking on whoever's watching this has read the book and is filling in the gaps themselves, that's not a good movie. Mm-hmm. Like you are, you are failing the, the the movie audience because now here I am without that information, and I'm like, I don't, I can't follow this. Uh, the last two, I thought were an improvement. I could follow those, but I think maybe that's because it was one they story over two, yeah. and they just had more runway. But those the five and six, I remember sitting there. Maybe it was five. I, it was just Five impenetrable to me where I'm just like, I don't understand a single thing that is happening. And it <laughs> seems like a bunch of vignettes that don't have anything to do with, and, and mm-hmm. like even I think Ron and uh, Hermione, like they would show up, like Ron would have a scene here and then, you know, 45 minutes like later, he'd be, yeah, he'd just yeah. be gone. And I'm like, where is everyone? The book's like, a bit like that too, though. Ron, Alan Rickman's in one around. scene in this movie. Like, he's third name credit. Where is Hagrid hasn't been in the movie at all. Like, yeah, they're not. They're not great. I will say, like, I mean, I, I love, I love some of the. Like, I've, I've watched all the movies. I, I really like going back to them, especially the third one and the sixth one. I realize, though, I love the sixth one just because of Jim Broadbent. I'm like, mm, the guy who plays. Slughorn. Yeah. I'm like, I will watch Jim Broadbent just like read the friggin' phone book because he's so <laughs> just delightful and genial no matter where he's like, you're like, Jim Broadbent? I'm here for the... He shows up in Game of Thrones. And I was like, Kim's like, where's he from? I was like, Harry Potter. It's Jim Broadbent. We're going to have a great time. I don't care what he's doing. I feel like that with the second Harry Potter movie because Kenneth Branagh's in it. And I'm like, I'll watch Kenneth Branagh in anything. Yep. <laughs> and that's a terrible adaptation. I know. Yeah, it is. I mean, it's a terrible book, but I remember... Uh, Kenneth I'm Branagh makes it though. I'm like, you're great. He is great. I always remember... <laughs> Um, when that movie came out, one of my old English professors 
was talking about that book, and he's like, it is a Freudian nightmare. Mm-hmm. He's like, there's a giant snake living in the girl's bathroom, and Harry has to kill it with his sword, <laughs> which he can't wield when his arm goes all flaccid. He's like, what the hell? Like, who wrote this book? For children. <laughs> yeah. He was just, you know, he Her whole English class just lost it. Yeah, he's not wrong. <laughs> no, he's not wrong at all. It was uh, it was great. And yet another franchise that has gone off the rails once they ran out of source material. Like the the the, the last three that mm-hmm. have or whatever the 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 fantastic what, fantastic piece. Thank yeah. you. Um, just like floundering out of nowhere because it was based on a book that was twenty four pages long. Yes, that uh, was a fictional book in the original series. Yeah, I, I like that was the thing where I was like, I watched that first movie and J.K. Rowling wrote the screenplay, and I was like, I don't think anybody told her that screenplays are different than books. Yeah, because this is a terrible screenplay. <laughs> One of those, uh, <laughs> really uh, like an excellent example of like uh, Stephen King also falls into this. And was like, I have mastered the novel, and now I will write a screenplay. And it's like you are very good at one thing, and you are not good at the other thing. <laughs> They're not the same thing. Stay where you're good. Yeah. Yeah. We should touch on King, who has had, if only because he has had, I think I counted it up, something like 34 adaptations to film alone, with like nine more in the works in some way. And then he's had like another 39 TV series adapted. I don't even know. I feel like King has so much that there are probably adaptations of his work that I've seen, but I don't even realize that it's based on Stephen yeah. King. And well, and I think what my my take on King is that his novels tend to not make good movies, but his mm. short stories make fantastic movies. Yeah, so the only one I can think of is The Mist, which is a short story. I think it was originally published in Skeleton Crew is the name of the collection. doesn't matter. But that was turned into a movie, which was really good until the very ending is different from the ending of the short movie, and that really bugged me. But that, like, the rest of that adaptation was very well done and, and very, like, almost the same as the short story. But... I haven't read any of his actual novels or... Well, they're all a thousand pages long. Like, I don't if, have time. <laughs> if you fall asleep, that thing's going to fall on your face and just break your nose. Yeah. And, or something will come out of it and kill you. <laughs> I've read It. I saw It. The, 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 the TV miniseries. I haven't seen the new ones with uh, Will Peltler, but... Um, or no, not Will Peltler. Doesn't matter. I haven't seen the new ones. The, the TV series scared me. I had to oh, sleep with the lights he, on for a it's week. It's Bill Skarsgård, and he does look like Will Putler. But Will Putler was supposed to be in it and yeah, had to yeah, drop yeah. out. That's why I know this. Um, the book is is not... It's a very, very, very long... There's also a bunch of weird scenes that were like just as well cut out. Like, um, good. <laughs> uh, yeah, like there's some really odd sex scenes in it uh, that... Like when they're fairly young, and like it's like it's a bizarre kind of Why? thing. But he's <laughs> also he's also King. one of those he's also one of those authors that kind of like dessert not dessert's not the right word, but like he writes a thousand pages because he can write a thousand pages because his publisher knows that they can sell a thousand pages. Yeah, no one's gonna pages. stop him exactly. And and like a good filmmaker knows how to take one of his books and go, all right, there's a good idea here within those thousand pages. Mm-hmm. I know, like. 
The Shining is the classic example of a King adaptation that King hates. But I think it was Kubrick saw the idea in the end, like The Shining is one of his shorter books. It's, mm-hmm. you know, 250 pages or whatever it is. Reasonable. Um, but wow. Kubrick was like, even that is too long. I can distill this down into something. And King was like, no. I put every word on the page for a reason. Um <laughs> Uh, but I think that there are some filmmakers who, and, and the best King adaptations are those ones who are like, there is a really good idea in the center of this that we can mm-hmm. make a ninety to two hour, uh, ninety minute to two hour long movie about. And and the other ones are like, Dreamcatcher, like, yeah, sure, aliens that you know percolate in your colon, sure, why not? <laughs> I mean, where else are they going to live? <laughs> Space is inhospitable. Right? <laughs> I don't know. I got nothing. I, um, it, you know, it reminds me of like almost the, the other thing where like Philip K. Dick has had a lot of really great uh, stories that have been like uh, adaptations mm-hmm. of, of his actually fairly not great stories. Yes. Like I read the, like I, I watched the, uh, the Man in the High Castle. It's a phenomenal yep. series. I read the book. I was like, this is trash. <laughs> <laughs> this book objectively sucks. And it's so misogynist. Uh, yeah. I feel uh, like that happens a lot with, like, once you get into the hard sci-fi. Um, and I did write down, also on my list, like, Blade Runner is Do Androids Dream of Electric Sheep. I yeah. watched Blade Runner first. I first watched Blade Runner as a young child, which I probably should not have done, but (laughs) my dad is like really nerdy and always wanted to watch weird sci-fi movies and my mom would never watch them with him. So he'd be like, Elizabeth, come watch this with me. Like, you're the only other one who's home. The only reason people have children is to to force them to engage in the media. So, but I mean, I've, I've since watched it many times now as an adult, but I had never read the book. So I went back and read, I didn't even know it was based on a book because the book has a very different title but I went back and read do androids dream of electric sheep and I'm like this is okay I guess like the book is I mean the the main story is there but the movie is just so much better yeah like it's such a rich Mm -hmm. beautiful film uh and yeah it's just like it's a great adaptation Mm -hmm. which which version because there's like eight versions of blade runner the one with harrison ford no no but like oh (laughs) i'm like how is this a question it's that movie (laughs) so like a lot of people a lot of people haven't seen the actual original theatrical cut of blade runner where harrison ford like narrates over top of it oh yes i've seen that one yeah but then the director's cut i've really, seen that yeah. one too i've okay. seen i think I've and then seen there's like the ultimate cut and yes yeah, yeah. okay so, so that's my, my dad his dvd shelf is like he's i not, have a shelf of here's the blade runner <laughs> no shelf. he has like multiple <laughs> copies of blade runner i don't know why because there's um, like 12 uh, no i know but i'm <laughs> like is there stopped. not just one that has them all like surely there is that would be great it's like the alien quadrilogy <laughs> set except it's just all the different versions of blade runner that would be I don't Fantastic. know. Yeah, I've seen I've yeah. I've seen at least two of them. Maybe not the director's cut, but I don't know. I've seen the, I've, the there's the director's cut and then there's the ultimate cut which came out a couple of years yeah, they, ago. They maybe it's not one that I have some weird adjectives onto it, so. Yeah, um, I don't know. The the, re, the the one reason I bring it up to sort of bridge it back to the shining <laughs> is that uh, they they thought that the original ending in the director's cut which is, you know, Roy dies on the rooftop mm-hmm. uh, with the tears in the rain speech uh, which Rucker Howard wrote. Anyways, uh, they they thought the ending was too dark, so they they wanted a different ending 
where they like you know they drive off together, but that's B-roll footage from The Shining. They didn't even shoot that footage. They were just, really? I didn't like, know that. Look, we got some footage left over from The Shining of them driving up a lake. Just slap that on the end there. What? That should do it. That's terrific. Yeah, that's it's incredible. like one of those movie reels. Yeah, so like they like Ridley Scott was just like, uh, we're not shooting new footage. They're just like, it's fine. We got some shit left from The Shining. Just slap that in there. To hear more, listen to mid credit Scene Podcast on Midtown Radio or wherever you get your podcasts.